What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is a world-renowned clinical psychologist, entrepreneur, writer, public speaker, and so much more. The author of her recent book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, with an endorsement by Deepak Chopra. She's appeared on Inside Edition, ABC Nightline, VH1, and many, many others. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Chloe Carmichael. Welcome, Chloe. Thank you so much, Dan. It's great to be with you. I was just sharing with you before we came on that I love the hospitality industry, uh, certainly as a consumer, as well as just the people in the hospitality industry and just the level of empathy and style that the industry always has. So it's really a pleasure to be with you. Uh, thank you so much. And then I'm so glad you just came out of the gate talking about empathy, because one of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on here, and I've known you and about you for years through EO, mostly the Entrepreneurs Organization, um, but I've just loved all the work that you're doing, helping people be okay and embrace their anxiety. And I think, and I'm not a cl clinician, I'm, I have no idea you're a doctor, but I think a lot of that work has to do with being a good listener and being super empathetic. And that's why I thought it would tie nicely into hospitality. So with that in mind, like, how do you define hospitality and how do you make others feel comfortable around you so that they can open up and be comfortable? Sure. Well, those are a lot of questions uh, and they're great questions. I'll try to take them, you know, one at a time, but with hospitality, I have to start by saying kind of a disclaimer. I am a little bit of a nerd, right? So PhD in clinical psychology, when I even saw the title of your show, Defining Hospitality, I got really curious about the etymology or the, the Greek roots of that word. And, you know, so I was just looking it up and noticing that it means, as I'm sure your listeners know, that the Greek word in hospa is going to be tracing to, to caring for people not only as a host, but that it also pertains, you know, as a guest. And I thought it was interesting too, to see it was the same route that we apply to hospital. Right. And so I personally yes. have almost had that emergency room feeling like get me to a fine dining experience or a great hotel. I just, I need that. My soul needs to be taken care of. Um, because actually also in psychology, the Greek word psyche traces to spirit. So I, I do think that there's so much overlap with psychology and hospitality of, as you said, that level of empathy that, that we need to bring to people. I totally agree with you. And I guess, and, and we talked about this a little bit, but I'd love to hear from you for, for you to be successful and for you to really drive results in all of your guests or guests, your patients. <laughs> Guess is a good word too. I like that. Um, yeah, because you're welcoming them, welcoming them into your office. And then there's the stereotype of the couch, right? And they're lying down there. And how do you get them to feel comfortable to empty out their secrets to you and so that they can really dig deep and see progress? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, on a certain level, they're not hiding the ball when they come to me. You know, they they do they usually want to try to like get it out there and and get taken care of. So they're, they usually, they, they want to put it out there, but I do find that they get more willing to put it out there when they can sense that I'm going to be able to really capture and take care of the needs that they are putting out there. Cause we've all had times where we've invested a lot of time and energy trying to explain our situation to somebody, whether it be a doctor, a customer service provider, you know, or an event space or, you know, a, a hospitality situation. And we put a lot of effort into explaining, and then it just seems like the person didn't get it or it didn't land. So, you know, obviously listening is super important. I practice a fair amount of what psychologists call reflective listening at first, which is, you know, I'm just kind of capturing and reflecting back to them what they've said to me, except I'm able to do it very quickly and very concisely, right? So they might speak for 10 minutes about, you know, kind of a 
they're finding the words to say stuff. They're trying to make these connections. And then I'm able to kind of feed it back and say, I see. So your issue is that, you know, at the office, you, you want to be more assertive, but you've had a few times with colleagues where it's backfired and you're looking for ways you can do that without seeming like the bad guy. And so when you're able to feed it back to somebody very concisely, they're like, okay, she's not only listening, but her facility in being able to summarize and kind of get to the direct points suggests to them that I've been down this road before and which, you know, gives them confidence. I, I think the way that kind of maps on to your industry, I would imagine is the ability to be able to listen obviously to clients and what they're looking for and the kinds of spaces that they want to create, recognizing certainly that the, each one is unique and making them feel special, but also being able to make it clear on a certain level that you can see which categories or which spaces or which profiles they're fitting into. And when they can sense that you have that experience and that ability to listen closely and then reflect it back in a way that confirms you understand it, I think that builds rapport and, and does facilitate that person opening up further. It's really interesting you say that because one of the things I think we're really good at when we're designing for a hotel or providing furniture or doing creating a new space is there's so much detail. We go through all the detail of each piece of furniture, right? And then I, I find it's most effective when I, I capture everything, but then I can say to them, okay, so I get all this, but what's most important about this piece or what's most important about this room so that we can then kind of delineate where to fight our battles, so to speak. And that in a way, that idea of reflective listening, it's almost summarizing and what bringing what's most important to the top. Well, it's reflective listening, but an extra step more, Dan, which, uh, which I do and which you just demonstrated that you do. So one of the big complaints that a lot of people have when they leave a therapist and come to me is I'll always ask them, you know, therapist or coach, why did you leave the last person? And they'll say, well, they would just basically reflect back to me what I just said to them. Right. And so at a certain point, it's like, okay, well, reflective listening is nice, but it's not really solving my problems. Right. And what you just did there is, is you reflected back, you made it clear that you really captured it but then you knew the right questions to ask to kind of help them locate the thread that you could see from your experience as a space designer, or, you know, furniture selection. What is the primary function really of this room so that you are keeping your eye on, on the, on the end point and, and learning how to help them stay focused on how to get there. So it's partly listening and reflecting, but then it's, from a springboard then that allows you to really guide the conversation in a way that makes them feel enriched by it. I enjoy hearing that. And thank you. You just made me, you just kind of made me feel like I know what I'm doing. So I appreciate that. Well, I'm sure um, you do know what you're doing, Dad. <laughs> I've been following you a little bit too and through EO and definitely no question about that. Well, I appreciate that. And it's interesting on so many of the conversations that I've been having with hotel owners, hotel operators, the people who are actually running the hotels, and then even the guests who are going in. Oftentimes there's this scripted, oh, hello, Dr. Carmichael. Hello, doctor, you know, say your name three times. That's gonna make the guest feel comfortable. But oftentimes that's very robotic and not like empathetic in a way, and it's not welcoming, but you're you're almost following a script. So in, in in your zone of genius of just helping people harness their nervous energy and use it in their advantage, how do you, like you have a formula, but what, what is a way that you break through the formula to mm -hmm. really affect change and really yes. make them hear that? Yes, Dan, that is like such a good question. So when I was in my training, I was always guided to go through this, you know, quote, formal assessment, you know, where you go to this, the, the psychologist and they say, so tell me, you know, about your history. Are you on medic medications? How many siblings do you have? And like, they're literally going through a form. And because I work with, you know, just such high achieving go-getters, 
they just would be bored to tears. They would just feel like they were wasting their time. And so what I found was most helpful was to just start by saying, you know, what brings you in today? You know, what's going on? How can I help? And just starting with the part that felt most important to them. And then I was peripherally gathering the rest of the information, right? So if they were talking, the example I gave earlier about conflict at the office, I might say, okay, and does this problem present itself in your, say, family life? Can you tell me a little bit about your family? So instead of saying, question five, how many siblings do you have? I'm, I'm, I'm gathering the information in a, in a way that's just truly more guided by the client and, and where they need to go. Another thing, Dan, that I think is, um, you know, since you brought up the anxiety piece and I, and my book with the concept that with nervous energy, we can reframe anxiety rather than being something that's like bad as actually a source of energy because, um, in psychology, anxiety does actually have a healthy function, which is to stimulate preparation behaviors. So a lot of people would come to me saying, Dr. Chloe, how can I get rid of my anxiety? And I would try to explain to them that's kind of like an anorexic who wants to get rid of all her body fat or his or her body fat. They don't realize that there's actually a healthy function to it. We just need to learn how to manage it. So what I would teach them is how to take that anxiety about say an upcoming meeting. And instead of just trying to take a deep breath and let it go, I would say, well, what could be some structured ways that we could take that little boost of adrenaline that you're feeling that mother nature is giving you a boost in focus and in energy around this topic. And how could we use that constructively to take advantage of it and help you progress towards your goal, which is the way that mother nature intended it. And I think in your situation as well, Dan, I'm sure you all run into some kind of stressed out people, right? Like there's big money on the line. They need these spaces, these hotels to work. They, they, they kind of should be a little stressed about it, right? Like uh, rather than blase, right? And so it's wonderful. I think that you want to try to help them figure out how to capture, you know, that, that level of attention and, and sense of being on point and then just help them put that all out there and use that energy to guide them and really build something beautiful for them. Thank you. And when you said anxiety is a method is really a way to, I think you said stimulate preparation, right? So your body or your mind or your body and your mind are telling you something right right now. One of our big challenges in the hospitality industry is people are scared to travel right? There's a, there's an overwhelming fear or anxiety about that. Um, and I want people to be traveling again. That means everything is moving forward. Projects will start to unleash. Um, and also it will foster connection between humans, which is really kind of why I do what I do. Speaking generally about people and that idea of anxiety towards travel in particular, how are you helping your clients who have a fear of travel to be better with it or to kind of unlock them so that they, we can all get on the road again and start having these collisions of relationships and meeting new people and just getting out there and experiencing life again. Yeah. Well, I think that there's, um, you know, so much fear that has been kind of put out there to people. Um, and, and also a lot of guilt, which has been really difficult too, that people are if they're not afraid of getting their, the virus, they're, they're, they're afraid of somehow accidentally transmitting it to someone else, you know, and then feeling really guilty about that. Um, so there's, I think a, an importance that I found of, of learning how to put boundaries, you know, around your concerns. And there's a technique from my book called the zone of control, which is basically um, where we look at our concern of say, you know, anxiety about travel, and then we would try to break that down into what are the pieces that I can control and what are the pieces, you know, that I cannot control and then learning to use that anxiety um, only to focus on the areas that we can control. Um, and then learning to just, you know, do the old, you know, deep breath, deep breaths and let it go around the stuff that we cannot control. But again, this whole point of harnessing the power of your anxiety is that we actually don't want to do deep breaths and let it go around the parts that we can control, right? So um, in, in the hospitality industry, 
I do think that there's such a fine line because I would imagine, and not just imagine, I, I can say from my own personal experience, as well as from, you know, what clients who are world-class, you know, business travelers have told me is there are some who are to me actually somewhat phobic, like irrationally phobic about these things. And there are certainly some, you know, who, who probably could, could stand to be a little bit more cautious. Right. Um, and then there are people that are somewhere in the middle. Um, and I, I, one of the things that I think is interesting as well is, is the issue of masks, right? So I think in the hospitality industry, um, a lot of, you know, hospitality leaders sometimes think like, oh, well, by putting masks on all of our servers and all of our staff, it will just make everybody feel more comfortable because it will demonstrate, you know, that we're being so cautious. But I think on, on the other hand, what it does, of course, is it can cut off the ability for people to have that warm, friendly smile, you know, that greeting, um, or it can just put people almost on edge on a certain level too, because there is something just um, so innately reassuring about the human face. So I just want to start by saying, I really feel for the people in the hospitality industry right now. I, I know that's a really tough one, um, but going back to the theme of, of just being able to listen and to understand that even the hospitality industry itself might have some anxiety about how to navigate this and how to handle this. And how can we harness that anxiety and use that as a springboard? Um, and how can the hospitality industry listen, right? So, I mean, I could see a world, for example, where guests get a little bit of a, you know, survey or profile about their preferences, you know, do you prefer, you know, to interact with people who are, you know, do, do you prefer as contactless a visit as possible, you know, or do you have a different kind of a feeling where you're actually looking for a little bit more of a, of a contact, you know, traditional type of hotel visit, you know, which makes you feel more comfortable. I think also just when we can visibly see those markers of cleanliness, when we can smell and sense those markers of cleanliness, um, and when we have a sense that our own preferences are being listened to and honored, um, I think that's, that really helps to put people at ease and put people at rest. But I, I will say, of course, it's, I know it's a tough time for the hospitality industry. I've actually done a fair amount of posts, even on my Instagram, like hashtag support hospitality. Um, I, I love to take my laptop to restaurant bars and just do some work um, because uh, I, I always like to, but now I have a good excuse as well. I'm supporting hospitality. <laughs> Chloe, it's interesting. As you were talking about the, the guest experience of having ser seeing servers in masks um, where they can't really get that warm fuzzy, I think you said. It's also, if you think, as you were saying that, I was thinking about the servers and the front desk folks who are supposed to be open-hearted listening to the guests coming in and really hearing what hearing what they're saying, but we know that so much of hearing is also reading body language and seeing body language. And the the providers of hospitality who are making people feel welcome also can't read what the guests are are saying as well. Right. You mean if the guests are masked? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess I would just think you know that they're they're there would be ways that you would want to try to streamline those processes as much as possible again, you know, so I know we all get like a, maybe an, an, a notification when it's time to check in for our flight, you know, if there can be like a similar type of a process, you know, in hospitality so that you can answer, you know, some basic questions, you know, before you even get there. Um, and again, personally, as someone myself who, uh, just really prefers a little bit more of the of the high touch. I'd much rather see a friendly face personally at this point. Um, and I know for some people, it's the opposite. They 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 would much rather see you know a, a a sterilized mask like that. Actually, just feels much better to them. Um, and so I would just be curious to know if there's if there are ways to to try to accommodate the the guests around that. Maybe it would even depend on the locality. There are ways and oftentimes, and, and they're, they're nascent in the sense that they're trying to figure themselves out. For me, I'm like you, I like the high touch. Other people don't, this whole contactless thing and not having housekeeping, it's, 
it's right up their alley. They don't want to be around people, but it would be interesting. But I feel like we have survey overwhelm, if you will, but if a way to just really vet into simple buckets of like, how do you want to be communicated with? What's important to you? How do you want your room temperature set? And have that go to the hotel and then have it actually be acted upon or the restaurant. I think that's a really interesting idea. I'm sure it's being worked on, but I, I really like that. Yeah. I mean, I would, I know again, like every uh, locality even has different um, rules about masks and things, but I could even see a world where like the employees masks have it printed on them. Just tell me if you'd like me to take this off. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that people yeah. could um, just know that they weren't going to have a, a bare face foisted upon them, but that they would also know that that really we're just trying to make you comfortable. And if the mask makes you comfortable, we'll wear it. If it doesn't, you know, then we'll take it off. But again, I know that may or may not be possible depending on, you know, every industry uh, location and the employees themselves. I totally agree. And before you were mentioning this zone of control is one of the techniques that you have in your book. And I believe you, I, I think there's nine, are there nine techniques That's and right. tools that yep. are in your book, mm-hmm. in your book, Nervous Energy? So as far as of the nine, so zone of control is one, but as it pertains to travel, interacting, making others feel comfortable, what are some other, what, what, what are some other of the tools that might be salient to this conversation about making others feel comfortable and delivering hospitality? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the techniques in the book is, is the mental shortlist technique. And that one we use, you know, primarily when we get into kind of a mental rut about something, like maybe it was really productive to say, you know, the example in the book is like, you're trying to prepare for a big meeting and it's all you can think about. And that's very productive up to a certain point, but then you reach a point of like, you're just ruminating, you're just spinning your wheels. And at that point, you give yourself a new mental shortlist of say five things that you're going to deliberately pivot to instead, whenever you start, you know, just over-focusing on that one thing. Um, And so I wonder if you could adapt that type of technique into, you know, your industry where on a certain level, we can think about the coronavirus until, you know, we're blue in the face, so to speak. Um, But then maybe we can make a list of say, what are five other things that we also just, you know, want to make sure that, that we don't lose sight of, you know, or what are five things that we can pivot to when we're starting to sense, you know, that a guest is getting a little bit, um, distanced from us or, you know, that we're just not connecting with them. Um, you know, I, I think also just addressing the fact that traveling is a little bit more high stress right now. Like, would it be a time to say, have, you know, a a massage therapist on staff that you could just, you know, as a way to welcome travelers that might even be almost like a, a subtle way to start finding out about their preferences. Like when they're checking in to say, you know, by the way, you know, we recognize this is a stressful time for travelers. We have a massage therapist on staff and we're giving complimentary 30 minute massages. You know, if you'd like one, I can sign you up. And people who say, oh yes, that sounds great. Like those might be the people who are kind of self-identifying as maybe more high touch. And, you know, people who are just like, oh no, I don't want that. You know, that you, you might be able to find out in, you know, kind of peripheral ways, you know, similarly, um, you know, making it clear that you have, you know, breathing apps or, you know, like calm techniques available or, you know, offering them even to say, you know, look, I love the way you put it down that there's survey fatigue, um, but just having something available and saying, you know, you don't need to complete this at all, but we do have a few, you know, questions that we, it might help us to make your stay more comfortable. If you want to complete this, you know, we'd be happy to, you know, give you a seat there in the lounge and a nice glass of um, drink of your choice while you complete this if you would like to. And then you're giving them the option to sit down and share with you, but you're also not putting it on them like it's some kind of an admin burden. And even their response to that, I think would probably start to clue you in about if this is somebody who likes contact or who just doesn't. Yeah. As you were talking about this mental shortlist to kind of short circuit some apprehension or fear or anxiety. And you said that make a list of five. It was really, it's rung a bell in my head because oftentimes when I get into that place, I do, I write down on a little note card, like three things I'm grateful for and three things I appreciate about myself. Mm 
And that's six, it's not five, but pulling those out of my head and thinking about those positive things really helps me change or recircuit whatever was happening. Yeah. Yeah. I can see where it would. Yeah. I mean, even just attaching the number to it, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to have my mental short list of say five things. And in, in the book, you know, people can have, you know, their mental short list can be anything from like, I'm going to start thinking about my birthday and holiday shopping that I always forget about. I'm going to think about, you know, that writing some thank you notes to some employees who have just been really stellar and I need to recognize them. In the book, we really suggest that um, the things on your mental shortlist should be very diverse so that um, they, they can help you no matter where you are mentally, but the technique can definitely be adapted. So again, if, if you're trying to think about even, you know, what are five ways to quickly make a guest feel more comfortable or you know, what are five ways that I can start to subtly gauge, you know, whether this is a guest who seems to like the high contact or whether this is a guest who would just really appreciate contactless. I love writing thank you notes. And I think it's a, a lost art. And there's something about taking the moment with the piece of stationery and writing just even a couple words of gratitude helps me reframe what's going on and just be present. Um, in addition to the mental shortlist, I, lo I love that tool. Is there another one that would be, I'm sure there's so many, but like if you were to think of another one that would rise to the top as far as being a guest or delivering hospitality to that guest? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's one which is uh, could actually, I think, adapt uh, to your industry as well. It's called the to-do list with emotions. And so what we do there is, you know, obviously everybody knows what a to-do list is. And then because again, I tend to work with very driven people, their to-do list um, is very long and, and they love to quote, do, 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 but then they sometimes get almost like a hamster on a wheel feeling where they're just knocking things out and they don't feel connected to it. Or they suddenly find themselves, you know, kind of burnt out and procrastinating around things on their list. So what we do in that situation is we look at the things on their to-do list. And then we think about, you know, what are the emotions that come up for you about this to-do item? And then what are some self-care plans that we can layer into that? So for example, um, I have a, an example in the book of a, of a man who has recently divorced and he, for some reason, is just really struggling to go grocery shopping. And when we asked, what is the emotion with that? He said loneliness and sadness. And of course it turned out it was because his ex used to do the grocery shopping. So the self-care plan then for him was just to plan a good cell phone catch-up call with a good friend while he did his grocery shopping. And the way that I think we could kind of translate this to your industry would be that we would think about what are some of the, the steps or the functions that hospitality has to do with a guest. So for example, check in the guest, like you said, um, and, and what are the emotions that we start to feel about that process from the side of the hotel, from the hospitality side. And it sounds like one of the emotions that you mentioned is apprehension um, because you're not sure if this is somebody who wants a high contact or a low contact you know, check-in. So identifying that that's the emotion and that might mean even giving your staff some, some training in how to do some deep breathing and how to relax themselves so that they can remain, you know, kind of mentally sending out just a nice calm feeling when a guest st starts to approach them. It might also mean that, you know, maybe that self-care plan also does include finding, you know, some kind of a practical way to even offer the guest, even at the moment of check-in to say, you know, we have two options. We have a quick check-in and we're happy to just, you know, do the check-in and give you your keys. Welcome. And, you know, we also have what we call, you know, our, our enhanced check-in where if you have some time, we'd love to offer you a beverage and learn a little bit more about what would make you comfortable here. But of course, we, we, we want to do whatever kind of check-in is best for you. And then that's a self-care plan, so to speak, for the company to address their feeling of apprehension around the to-do list item of checking in a guest. 
I lo- that's fascinating. Okay. That's actually very useful in anything, whether you're kicking off a project or starting a, or, or checking in a guest or anything. That's, that's wonderful. So going back, like, how did you decide to become who you are as far as a psychologist goes? Like what, what, what was the path that got you there? Sure. Well, I started off as a yoga teacher. Um, so I've always been really interested in, in wellness and stress management and just helping people as well as myself, you know, to really live their best life and, and feel good and healthy and well. So it started out for me teaching private yoga lessons. To be honest, it was just the way that I could make the most money, right? So I've also, I, I was an entrepreneur without even knowing it. I, I never set out to like be an entrepreneur, but then it just kind of came about that like throughout my life, I just, you know, happened to always be somehow figuring out how I could make the job that I was doing you know, work better for me, um, which just led me, you know, to entrepreneurship kind of organically. So I was teaching individual yoga lessons to, and then by definition, that meant I was usually teaching to kind of successful people, right? Because only successful people can afford a private yoga lesson. So successful, but also people who were self-aware and genuinely interested in their wellness, that that's how they would choose to spend their discretionary time and income. And they would want to make the lessons count, obviously. And so did mm-hmm. I. Um, so they might be telling me like, oh, well, my, my reason for doing yoga is I want to find more balance in my life. I'm so stressed out with my work. So I would create these custom yoga programs. My website was actually customyoga.com. And I would create these custom yoga programs for them where I would teach them meditations that would promote balance. And then I would weave in specific references to things in their life. And then I would also teach them physical yoga postures that involved balance (laughs) so that we would just really be holistically gathering this. And I found that people were loving it. They were eating it up. Mm. It was amazing. And they would almost kind of start elevating me to like a level that I knew I couldn't really occupy. Um, and I almost started, it it was kind of stimulating me. That anxiety was stimulating me to realize that I, I needed and wanted to learn more, um, really about the, the brain and the mind and personality and social behaviors, because that's what a lot of their concerns pertained to. And so that's why I actually then went and got a PhD in clinical psychology It took, you know, a long time. It takes six years uh, minimum post-college to do that with a clinical psychology degree because of all the, you know, just hours of clinical time. Um, And then I started my office and I I didn't even know if I would be able to fill my own chair. It's kind of like the number one fear of of graduating therapists is how am I going to stay in business? Like, will I have any clients, you know? And so again, I took that anxiety and I share the story in my book too, is I took that anxiety and I I harnessed it into what can I do about it? And so I made a schedule for myself where I had to come to work 40 hours a week, whether I had a client or not, uh, either seeing clients or figuring out how to get them. And very soon, within a few months, I was so full, I had to hire other therapists. And um, I, one of the things I was doing to try to get myself out there was um, trying to submit quotes to the media, through websites, like help a reporter out and things like that. Seriously, before I knew it, like I started having TV call me. I I didn't, I didn't have any contacts in the media. Um, But again, part of what I was doing was trying to get like great professional headshots, trying to really, I put videos of myself on my website, answering frequently asked questions. Um, And one thing led to another and, you know, the, the book deal like came a couple of years ago, even though the book was just published now in March, but it was a couple of years in the making. So it's been, uh, it's, it's, and then doing corporate workshops as well. It it just came organically. Um, Baker McKinsey, the third largest law firm in the world, um, just reached out to me and said, you know, can you start putting together some things for us? And it went well, and it just kind of grew from there. Uh, and then thinking about where you could go, you didn't just say, oh, this is where I'm going to go. You were really listening to a need that was out there, right? And then this whole thing happened. 
That's true. So in my final year of licensure, so even after you got your PhD, you have to work under someone else's license. And I did that year at a firm called Corporate Counseling Associates that um, is a, like a EAP employee assistance program for Fortune 500 companies. And it was my job to pair stressed out executives with therapists. And so I had a lot of experience talking to them about which therapist they wanted to be paired with, why that therapist didn't work out, et cetera. And so I was just logging all of that information so that I could use it when I started my own practice. And then from the time that you went on this entrepreneurial journey, could you have, first of all, could you have imagined having Deepak Chopra contribute to your book, (laughs) number one? And number two, like, how did that even happen? Yeah, it's so wild. And no, I couldn't have imagined it. And I'm not somebody who gets that, you know, imposter syndrome, like where you think that you don't deserve what you have or whatever. I don't suffer from that. But I swear it, I still sort of can't believe that he endorsed the book. Like, but I I think it was my yoga background because I do talk about mindfulness in, in a very, I think, unique and fresh way that really blends my yoga teacher background with psychology. And I think that was the part that, that he probably really, it stood out to him, but um, I'm also a huge networker. So again, just going back to hospitality, I love to go out to be at really nice places where, you know, there's just, they, they just almost force you to have a good time. Right. And so um, I was at a networking event and I happened to meet somebody who is a publicist and she and I just became friends and I would always invite her out to fabulous lunches and things because I just knew it would help me to be around somebody like her that was going to give me advice. And one day she said to me, you know, Chloe, it's great that your business is doing so well, but you know, if you don't write a book by the time you're 40, it's just, you know, you're, you're just not going to like, she's, she can be kind of blunt. She's like, you're, you're, you're just not going to count. <laughs> and then, so I was like, okay, well, well then I have to write a book. What should it be about? And she said, well, you know, like, let's think about your practice. You know, you have this like, you know, ritzy park Avenue practice and, you know, you obviously like do some unique things with your clients, you know, like, could you write a book about that? So I said, uh, yeah, sure. So I, I started like making an outline for it. And I was actually, again, thanks to hospitality, sitting at a restaurant bar with my laptop, like I often am working on that proposal. And it happened to be that I was um, at a restaurant bar by the Flatiron District, which is where a lot of the publishing houses are located. Mm-hmm. And I just got to chatting with the woman next to me who happened to be a big editor And she then wanted to see my proposal for my book and she passed it around to some friends. And within six months, I had a book deal. Wow. So it's really just putting yourself out there and almost kind of manifesting this. But if you're not putting yourself out there, if you're not getting over any kind of nervous block, nothing is going to happen, correct? Yeah. I mean, in, in my particular case, yes, putting myself out there was the right way to harness the power of, of my anxiety, but every situation will be a little different. And that's why there are nine techniques in the book. But the first one is a mindfulness technique that really trains us to study and observe the nature of the anxiety. So that way we know like, is this one where I just need to learn how to do those really good deep breaths and learn how to just let something go? Sometimes that is the best thing to do. Or is this situation calling for a very structured, you know, lean in type of approach, like that mental shortlist where we train ourselves to almost like think about something else sometimes that can be perfect in some situations, but counterproductive in others. So that's why the first technique in the book is a mindfulness technique And then the other eight techniques, it's really going to vary which one is appropriate based on the situation. Oh, because for instance, that mental short list, it's really a way to short circuit or distract, but sometimes you, you just need to focus on the task at hand and distracting yourself might not be useful. Exactly. Exactly. Although in the adaptation that we did here today, um, we did talk about some adaptations of the mental shortlist where it could actually be, you know, what are five good ways on my mental shortlist that I can focus on a situation? What are five questions I can ask this guest if things start to seem like they're going sideways? So um, the mental shortlist technique can be adapted. 
But yes, it's true that there are some situations where um, we need an anxiety technique that's going to teach us almost how to escape or distract ourselves and avoid ruminating on something. And sometimes we need a technique that will stop us from avoiding something that will guide us to just get in there and, and, and tackle it. Yeah. And to me, that one really resonated. Um, oh, I forgot which one did you, I forgot which one you called that. The to-do list with emotion. Yeah. To-do list with emotion. So it can get you past um, procrastination. If you really associate it with whatever the, emo- the positive or even negative emotion is, because then you can counterbalance it. Yes. So then you can really address it and practice self-care around it instead of wondering why, you know, you're just avoiding something or just not feeling fulfilled by something. It guides you to really look at it and people feel more willing to do that when they know that the important part of the to-do list with emotions includes self-care or, you know, company care around understanding, okay, well, we're feeling apprehensive about the check-in process because, We never know which way the guest is going to go. And so therefore we can have a a care plan by then taking some steps to figure that out or, you know, by taking some steps to help our employees to really remain calm so that they can help the guests to get calm too. Because if the guest picks up that we're apprehensive, then they would get apprehensive too. And a surprising theme from all of these conversations that I'm going, that I'm having okay, you can have these huge initiatives and just protocols and procedures, but oftentimes it's just knowing how to listen and having the other person be heard. So true. So true. Not yes. You know, being heard. And again, that's where that reflective listening comes through to show them that you're listening, but also that part of your listening, especially if you're dealing with clients in the luxury space, usually involves listening to the fact that this person generally speaking, doesn't have a lot of time, right? A busy, stressed out business traveler, part of what, you know, you, you need to hear is that they may not want to, you know, have a lot of time. And so that's why being able to communicate it back in a very concise way helps and having certain kind of profiles and categories for people that you can start putting them into. So in my book, for example, I have three primary example characters. So there's, there's William, the scrutinizer, you know, who's, you know, kind of like a constant worry wart. And I talk about some techniques and the way he views the world and some things that help for him. And then I have, you know, Greg who grins and bears it. And he always puts on a happy face and seems fine. But then inside, you know, he's, he's all over the place. And then I have Christina, the OCD queen, who's like this big, you know, perfectionist and, you know, kind of like super OCD about everything. And it's not to say that I don't see each client as unique, but after years and years and years of experience, when you can start to see profiles and patterns, and then we can start to communicate that to clients, it allows us to show them, you know, I'm listening, I hear you, and I can get your situation quickly. I can even kind of know certain things about you before you even tell me, because I've seen this picture before. I'm not Mm going to totally put you in a box and not listen to you, but I, I at least have some context around you. In my worst, I kind of feel like Greg <laughs> when I'm at my worst state. But like in your worst state, who, which one resonates with you the most with respect to travel? Wow. With respect to travel, probably or, Greg. Or eating, or eating out. Greg as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty easygoing person. So um, I, I'm not like a super anxious person myself at all which is probably why I was able to connect so well, you know, with people that were dealing with anxiety. My guess is that if I were super anxious myself, it might be like the blind leading the blind. (laughs) Totally. Um, When you think about the future as it pertains to travel and just overall anxiety, what's keeping you up with respect to that? Well, um, I'm personally very eager to travel. You know, the only reason I'm not traveling a lot right now is because I have a four-year-old and I would totally take him with me. I would just travel and take him with me. But to be honest, really for me, it's the issue of the masks. I mean, as a clinical psychologist, I'm aware that we have these things called mirror neurons, mirror neurons only fire when they see a face. And so if you are smiling, 
even if I'm, you know, very sad myself, if I see you smile, it doesn't make me happy, so to speak, but my mirror neurons will smile. And this is the neurological underpinning of empathy. And that's one reason why it's very stressful to suddenly be walking around in a society where everybody's face is covered. You know, it literally cuts off an important part of our communication. Plus, of course, as a yoga teacher, I love to breathe freely. <laughs> um, so I think for me, like the thing that keeps me up is I, again, like I, I could travel myself and just wear a mask. It's not that big of a deal. But putting my four-year-old in a mask, um, I'm just really not so comfortable, you know, doing that for, you know, big periods of time. I think flying with a four-year-old is stressful enough, like without having to, you know, you know, put him, you know, into all that. So what keeps me up at night is just hoping and praying that we'll come to a place where, where we can see each other's friendly faces all the time again. I totally agree with you and I cannot wait. So that leads into the flip side of that question is like, what's exciting you most about the future right now? Well, I mean, I actually love that, like, love the fact of virtual, right? So what, what excites me in a way about, you know, the future is hoping that we do get to that time and place when we can all just, you know, travel and be together again, but also recognizing that there's a lot more that we can do virtually. So, you know, one way, like, for example, is for empathy in the hospitality industry, you know, just like we used to have like the little proverbial phone booths, you know, um, I, I would think now maybe even having like Zoom booths, you know, like places that are like, you know, little rooms that are set up where you can just really do like a, a nice high quality, you know, video call, or I know like having rooms that are, you know, e e equipped for, you know, easy connection to Wi-Fi. And, um, you know, I, I love it when I go to a hotel and there's, um, Alexa. I, I don't want to say the name or else my little smart device will, but A-L-E-X-A. You know, I, I, I love the ability to have those types of technologies. I do not like that last part because my wife's name is Alexa. Oh and my goodness. Whenever we're at someone's house and I, someone says her name or I say her name, it's something buzzes or goes off. Oh, I bet. I bet. Oh, that poor woman. <laughs> But I don't want to detract from your excitement because overall, I do think that that idea of being able to talk to the cloud and get answers and just having this external brain, I think it frees us up to focus on what's on more important things. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I've actually gotten also really into social media and, you know, public speaking more. It wasn't really like I ever started out thinking I was going to be doing public speaking and and, you know, group workshops and that kind of thing, but it really kind of evolved naturally. And it's just been kind of a new chapter, a new thing for me to do and to be able to connect with people because that's what I love to do. And just learning that I can connect with people, not even just one-to-one -one anymore, but I can also connect with people, you know, more broadly. Um, for me, that's been a big growth point. Yeah, and I, that, I think that just dovetails perfectly in with that idea of, just being virtual and not really fighting it. I know we have Zoom exhaustion, but it does open up a whole new world and freedom for so many different people. Yeah, you know, but I have to say like the lighting thing is so important, you know, um, I'm just imagining with, with travelers or, you know, those kinds of things like you know, I don't know if your listeners, some of them maybe just listen, some of them maybe see, but I've got like my softbox lights and everything on me right now. Like when we, when we do a zoom call, like we, we want to look good and we want to sound good. And, you know, I would definitely like choose one hotel over the other, you know, if there was some kind of a way that I could know that I would look and sound my best, but again, every, um, every traveler is different. So I'm, I'm sure that you guys have ways that you can profile your guests and figure out what's important to those, you know, at least different profiles. I know each person is unique, but there must be patterns. Agreed. Um, Chloe, thinking about, you know, how you've impacted so many people as of today with teaching them how to harness the power of their anxiety. If you were to, so you've, you've achieved this success, you're impacting so many people right now. If you could go back to the yoga instructor, Chloe, what advice would you give your former self knowing everything that you know now? I would really just say, don't change a thing truly. Cause I'm, I'm so happy with the way that things have evolved and 
um, you know, I, one of the favorite workshops I did um, in the past was yoga and emotion. As a psychologist, I did that, you know, so learning how to just first, you know, really learn and master the yoga teacher world. Again, not to say I'm, I was the best, you know, but like I, you know, mastered it for my own use, I think as much as it was good for me. And then really listening to that um, realization that I, I had more learning to do um, and then going in for a PhD, I never thought I would do that either. So um, I would really just, I would really just say, don't change a thing. I love it. Great. Um, thinking about, you know, the, the future and like some of your travel plans, do you have any trips planned right now? I don't, but you know what? I just thought of one thing I might tell that, that yoga teacher, Chloe, that I I wish actually that I could have done is I would say, I would tell her to start getting everybody's email addresses, right? Because this was like the early two thousands. And I, I just didn't, I wasn't on social media and I didn't do much email. I was very low tech. Um, and, and I, I wish I had started building that, you know, digital, you know, network list earlier, um, but no, as for travel, um, my husband and I go back to, uh, like just a nice little cottage in Michigan every August for me, as soon as the world just opens up and lets us travel and just show our faces, my four-year-old and me will definitely be traveling. Um, I was invited to actually do, you know, some speaking in Mexico city, for a YPO event there. And so that is in discussion. So I might end up going to Mexico city soon, but we'll see how it goes. Wonderful. And as everyone is here listening and seeing you, um, if people are struggling with anxiety or are really intrigued and want to learn more, how can people connect with you? Sure. Well, nervousenergybook.com is an easy way to get, you know, to my website uh, that's going to be focused on the book, um, as well as some master classes and things like that. So nervousenergybook.com. But also if people are interested in, say, you know, speaking or workshops at, you know, your organization, trying to put me out there to your book club or, you know, whatever else, um, drchloe.com slash speaking, but just drchloe, D-R-C-H-L-O-E.com is my website and people can find everything there. I'm also all over Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. I'm just, I've, I've actually really come to embrace social media and realized it's a great way to really connect with people. Oh, thank you for sharing. Um, well, Chloe, I, thank you for being such an incredible guest and teaching us how to just be more comfortable and, be, and better listeners. It's my pleasure, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners. And if this talk has evolved, how you become a better listener or how you deliver hospitality to others, please share this podcast with a friend. We're really eager to just get the word out there and make everyone feel more comfortable and get everyone out on the road again. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next time.